I don't know about you, but I have really, really been into the ESPN documentary, The Last Dance. Uh, it has taken up every part of my Sunday evening, and I've loved it. Uh, I think even more so because I was there at Moody living on campus during this time, and so I got to see a lot of the personalities. Um, one of the personalities that I got to actually see up close was Dennis Rodman uh, when he was doing the whole wedding gown with Madonna and the horse-drawn carriage. I was actually there on Michigan Avenue when that was going on. Uh, at one point, I got to see a brief glimpse of Michael Jordan. Uh, he was practicing in Solheim Center, which was the gym on Moody's campus, and uh, that got locked down pretty quick. You could see a glimpse, and they just kind of ushered everybody out. But I I've loved getting to see the personalities here. Uh, on this show. And I love what BJ Armstrong said about the personalities of Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. In addressing Scottie's return to that season, he said, Scottie had this raw athletic ability. What he did not have, what Michael brought every day, was the drive to be the very best every single day. That was to quote BJ. And then to quote Michael about Scottie in that same season, Michael says himself in that episode, the thing with Pip is when you stand next to him, you make him stronger. Pippen had the talent to be great. He had the raw athletic ability. But what he didn't have had was the, the need for a Michael Jordan personality, the, the personality to push him to, to be greater, to embrace the hard things, to make him a stronger athletic player during that season. And I love that. To put it in another term, the, the SEALs, uh, the Navy SEALs have a term called embrace the suck. <laughs> and so it's this reality that says, man, things are going to get hard in life. And we need personalities around us to drive us to do the hard things, even when we don't want to do them. This morning, I want to push us to be greater, to embrace the hard things, to show you through the words of Paul and the words of Jesus this morning that suffering is actually a really good thing. Suffering is an essential thing. Suffering is a normal thing. And suffering is good for us. And honestly, suffering should not be a surprise to any of us any of us. And yet we seem like we're tossed, uh, we're, we're thrown off by it every single day. And I want to begin this morning with a story from another Michael Jordan type personality that we find in the Bible. His name is Peter. And he has that same driven personality. He says what he thinks, but he's the kind of guy that when you stand next to him, he brings out the very best in you. There's something about Peter that was just about bringing out the best in those he was with and this no nonsense kind of guy that he was. There's a story in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, and Peter is talking with Jesus, and Jesus asked Peter a question. He says, who do people say I am? And Peter says, well, some say this, some say this. And then he turns to Peter himself, and he says, okay, that, that, that's fine, Peter, but who do you say I am? And Peter, with complete confidence, looks at Jesus, and he says, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, amen, you are correct. Absolutely, Peter, That is, you have the exact right answer. And he said, on that confession that I am the Son of God, I will build my church on that statement. It's a huge moment for Peter. There's a, reckon, there's a moment where he realizes who Jesus is, and he's fully in at that moment. He's bold, he's correct. And yet, a little later on in that chapter, we see something interesting. In 1621, Matthew 1621, it says this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. The Son of God was going to live, but he was also going to die. He was going to suffer. The plan was he was going to suffer from the beginning, and this was how it was supposed to be. Suffering was part of the deal from day one. 
Well, Matthew hears that, or I'm sorry, Peter hears this, and in Matthew 16:22, Peter says this. This is crazy. And Peter took him aside, meaning Jesus. He kind of says, "Jesus, come here. I got to talk to you about something." He literally takes the Son of God aside and began to rebuke him, <laughs> saying, "Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you." Can you imagine that? Like he takes Jesus, the Son of God, aside. He says, "Hey, come here a second. Let me just tell you something." You're completely off base. You aren't going to suffer. You aren't meant to suffer. The Son of God doesn't suffer. He doesn't come down in human form and, and go through these trials. That's not what God does. And he's in Jesus' face as a rebuke. He says, suffering's not the plan. Are you kidding me? There's no way that's the plan. And Jesus responds to Peter's chastisement. He says this, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. There's a huge, I mean, in the moment, right, the disciples are probably like, what? Things just got really awkward. There's that silent moment, right, where the parents are fighting, and you're kind of like, mm, that's what's happening in this situation. And here's what's going on. Peter could not get it through his mind that suffering could be any part of the plan of God. And Jesus pulls him inside and says, Peter, get behind me. You're speaking as if it's Satan. And he says, I will not hear it from you because suffering is part of the design. And we know this because Jesus lays out in the rest of chapter, or chapter 16 the plan that you must carry your cross daily. You must suffer if you're going to follow me, is what he tells the disciples later in that story. Jesus lays out suffering as the main goal. And that's what we're going to talk about in Romans 8. How do we embrace suffering? How do we take up our cross and follow him? This is not going to be easy. This is going to be a very hard journey we have ahead of us in this life. Suffering, to put it honestly, in scripture, he says suffering will be like breathing to you. And you're like, wait, wait, I thought Christianity was supposed to be easy. and what? No, he gets his clarity. He says suffering will be part of this world. He says later in that same chapter, he says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. I want to look at this idea of how do we become stronger through suffering. We said the why and the what. This is the how. How do we become stronger? He's going to tell us, because we talked about it last 17, he says you must suffer to become stronger. So let me kind of break this down. So Romans chapter 8 breaks into three big areas. And for the sake of time this morning, I don't want to go into the entire section verse by verse. I don't want to do that. It would take us too long. But basically, we can break chapter 8 into three main encouragements this morning. So encouragement number one is this. One day, this broken world is going to be restored. Creation groans as in childbirth. We groan under the pain and the suffering of this world and death. But then he's going to promise that there's hope. So the first encouragement is one day this broken world and all that's part of it will be restored. That's encouragement one. Encouragement that's basically from 18 to 23. And then encouragement number two is we have backup. We have the Holy Spirit on our side. Encouragement number three in chapter eight is all things will work together for good. Okay. In the midst of suffering, we have a hope of restoration. We have backup. And all things will work together for our good. That's basically this section of 18 to 30 in Romans chapter 8. So I want to kind of break that down a little bit, but I want to focus more on the tail end than at the beginning. 
So here's what I mean by that. Creation was the beginning, and creation, through creation, we are cursed. Let me read uh, Romans 8 here, 18 to 23. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, but willingly, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He says in this section... The creation itself is groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right? You look outside creation, you don't hear it physically, you don't see it. But the reality is in Genesis chapter 3, when he curses the ground, he's cursing creation. And this broken world, even the creation we see around us, is not what it will be when Christ returns and gives us a new earth. Isn't that crazy? The things you see now are broken. They're damaged. They're groaning in the pains of childbirth. And I don't know what that's like. Ladies, you do. Um, and, and you know those groans and how painful those groans are. I can only hear it from the outside. But he says creation is experiencing the groans and the pains of childbirth as it awaits for the revealing of God to come back. And he says the creation is cursed and it groans as it sits under this bondage of sin. He says not only is creation underneath the bondage of sin, but we, who are a part of this world, as human beings, are under that same curse. All of humanity has to deal with sickness and pain and suffering. And there is certain suffering that happens to good people simply because we live in a broken world. Right? I wish it was a different answer this morning. I wish I could come to you and say, you're not going to have any trouble at all in this world. But the reality is, we all are part of this curse of sin that started in Genesis 3. And because we are under that sin, we will have suffering in our lives. And that's the first part he mentions. He says, don't be surprised by this suffering because it's part of being a human being living in a broken, fallen world. That's the first part. And then he goes in to verses 24 and 25. And I want to spend the rest of our time in this last part of Romans 8 because I think there's so much here for us if we're truly going to embrace suffering as a reality. He says in verses 24 and 25, I love this. For in this hope we were saved. What's the hope? The hope is back in 23. And not only creation, but we ourselves are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly, Here's the hope that we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Our hope is that Christ is going to return and he's going to set things straight. That's the hope. So for in this hope of Christ's return and setting things right and getting rid of sin, in this hope we were saved. This is awesome. Verse 24. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. He says, hope that is seen is not hope. I love that. Hope that is seen, in my estimation, I think you could call that encouragement, right? It's not the same as hope. You can see proof, and so it's not the same as waiting for something that you cannot see. Hope is not superficial optimism. It's not puppy videos and Christian memes. That's not hope. That's encouragement that maybe... 
uh, uplifting uh, to see those things, verses on a, on a cup, that's great. But that's not hope. Hope is not superficial optimism, but the confident assurance of that which will surely come to pass. It distinguishes those who have kept the faith in times of severe testing. Hope, to put it in the NEB translation in this passage, he says this, endurance brings proof that we have stood the test. Hope means that we have endurance to trust in something that is not seen. Hope is the scars that we carry as we await for the adoption to be reconciled, to be back, 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 brought, back <laughs> brought back with Christ in eternity. That, that's our hope. Hope is the scars we carry. It is the suffering of this life that says, even in the midst of this suffering, I have hope that there will be a return, even though I can't see it. It is the hope that we have a return to come. Suffering is normal. Suffering is part of the plan. Suffering is what matures us. And as we mature, it is that hope that makes us tougher. It's that hope that creates a long-lasting view of our life, that this world is just a blip in the screen compared to what is to come. That hope is what matures us. We become more mature when we have hope versus encouragement. It's one thing to watch a bunch of puppy videos and Christian memes and get all excited and be like, yeah, I'm encouraged. It's another thing to say, in the midst of this trial, in the midst of something hard, I know God's working, I know he's doing something, so I'm not gonna give up. Even when my anxiety and lack of control is full and screaming at me, I'm not going to give up because I have a hope that is to come. It matures us. And here's the reality. This hope is not produced by us. Hope is the last line of what is produced by suffering. It is, to put it another way, the toothpick in the brownie test. We'll get there in a second. But Romans chapter 5, 3 through 5 says it like this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces first endurance, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, that's the second phase, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It is the baking and the heat that solidify that brownie that you're making that sounds really good right now. It's that heat that produces the solidity in it. And we get stronger as the heat is applied. The brownies get more thicker and better as the, as the heat is applied to it. And some of us may be in the early phase of that baking. And so we've endured and we've, we've, we've got the scars to prove that we've had endurance. Maybe others are a little further along and you've been through the endurance phase. And now you're into that producing character. And character is that thing that you can't fake. It's who you really are at the core. It's who he gets tested and, and, and is revealed. He says there's endurance at the beginning phase and there's character. And then he says some have maturity of hope. It's the, the toothpick put into the brownie and pulled back out and to see that it's perfectly ready to go. That hope is that thing that says I've been through testing and I'm mature and now I have a hope for the future. It's a bigger, more mature, long-lasting, tougher version than just encouragement. And here's the reality. While that analogy may work somewhat, it lacks, right? Because we know that the Spirit can do as He wishes, and He can bring hope into you at any time. So don't be discouraged this morning, thinking that I've got to work through all those phases until I get to finally hope. It's just an analogy, because honestly, the Spirit can do as He wants. He can encourage you with any point to produce hope within you. But here's the reality. I don't know that it will fully come without suffering in our lives. 
You see, we cannot buy into the health and wealth mentality that God just wants to make you happy. We can't buy into the lie of an easy life that God's favor on you somehow means that he'll make everything easy. I get a little nervous sometimes when we just say God's favor is on us, right? Because we're not guaranteed some of those pieces. We know that God is for us, yes, but that doesn't mean that he's going to make life easy. We have to embrace the fact that sin is real and sin breaks everything it touches. We are living in a broken, groaning world and suffering is par for the course this morning. I'll say it again. Suffering is normal. Suffering is one of the main ways we grow. Suffering is what needs to be produced in many of us. So don't run from it. There's something God's doing in the normalcy of suffering. Here's the beauty, though. Not only is there, that's the rough part of this, the suffering is part of this world. We're going to have to suffer. We're going to have to carry a cross. But here's where he continues, and I love this in verse 26. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Just like Peter, I have a hard time with this. Wait, why, why should the God of creation be groaning with us? Shouldn't God of creation not have to worry about this? He's been to the cross. He's He's done these things. Why do we still have a God that cares so deeply about us? I, I would, I'd be like Peter and pulling Jesus aside. No, you shouldn't have to suffer. I did this to myself. I'm the one that should suffer. But here's the reality. The Bible tells us verbatim that you have the Spirit of God groaning on your behalf who empathizes with every single suffering you go through. You are not alone. Isn't that crazy? You are not alone in this. The God has told us his spirit is with us, and not only with us, but groaning with us. Just as in the pains of of childbirth mentioned in the the creation it's groaning, just as in we as children of God are groaning under the sufferings and the weight that we're under right now, anxiety, depression, death, loss, cancer, sickness, whatever it is you're facing, that groaning that's real, and you're like, I just can't make it, God. I need you. You have to know the Holy Spirit is with you and groaning with you on your behalf. I want to say to God, you're too powerful, you're too omniscient, you're too all-knowing to groan with us. And yet it is written and is true that Jesus and the Holy Spirit relate to us in our sufferings. Not only that, but in our sufferings, the Trinity, all three parts of God, beautifully do these four things. You ready for this? Isn't this cool? This is some encouragement this morning, I hope, for you. The Spirit of God does four things in the midst of our sufferings. He relates to us in our sufferings, number one. You see that here with a groaning too deep for words. That's number one. He relates to us. Number two, he pleads our case in the grand plan of God. He intercedes for the saints, he says. He intercedes for us. In other words, he pleads our case in the grand sovereignty of God. He says, God, I want you to look. Look at them. They're hurting. They're suffering. Can you look down and see that they're in pain? The Spirit works in that way to, to intercede for us in the grand plan of God and say, God, could you just make a way for them through this time? Could you give them the hope that they need? Right? It, it, it's the same thing. I, I'm really encouraged by our governor in a, in a small sense in the fact that he says, like, man, I'm listening. Right? It sometimes seems like government doesn't listen, but I love the fact that even recently he pulled back some things because he's been listening to the people says, I hear you. It's the same thing God says, I hear you. You have the Spirit of God interceding for us on our behalf. And then the third thing he does, he reveals the will of God to us. It says God searches and knows the mind of the Spirit according to the will of God. He searches 
The Spirit searches the mind of God, and, the, and, and, and God the Father listens to the Spirit, and they are beautifully intertwined in this Trinity thing, that they are together, and they respond to one another. They reveal the will of God to us. The Spirit can go to, go, go to God and say, hey, what's, what's the deal? What's the big plan here? And God can miraculously share that with the Spirit. And again, this is, again, a bad analogy, because ultimately we know that the, the God is not divided. They are one, and they all have the same, and yet... Somehow they're different in the fact that the Spirit here is knowing the mind of God. We'll come back to Trinity at another point. But the, the reality is this morning that God's plan is being revealed within the Trinity, and it is being revealed to one another, and they are seeing your suffering. And that's number three, reveal the will of God to us. And number four, and do so in complete unity and no disagreement at all. At all. So here's what's happening with every suffering that you have. Isn't this cool? They, they relate to your suffering. God relates to your suffering. God pleads our, your, your, the Spirit pleads our case in front of God. There's the reveal of the will of God to us in the plan, and they do so in complete agreement. And all that's happening in a realm that we can't see, but it is happening. And it's the personal nature of God to relate to us in that way. And we know all of this based off of verse 26 and 27, but it gets even better into 28. Verse 28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. There is a plan in place, and God has things in motion, even in the midst of your suffering, and he's willing to work things for the good. Now, let me just kind of put a little caveat here because I think we need to understand what he means by the word good. We must keep this in context within the passage. For good, what does he mean by for good? From the context, here's what good is. Good in this passage is the conformity to Jesus Christ at all costs, even through suffering. Because here's what happens. We often read that verse and we think, well, God means all things for good. And we can kind of just put it whatever our definition of good is. A, a raise. My kid's health. My kids like me. Uh, I've got all the right things going in life. I've got the right bank account. I've, I've got good things. That's not what he's talking about. The, the passage is talking here that he works all things for good. That is the conformity to look more like Jesus every single day. Like Peter, we want to pull Jesus aside and give him a real rebuke. No, 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 Jesus, this is not the way. You don't know what you're doing here. Suffering is, is not how this works. The good is, is a healthy life for me. The good is safety. The good is this. Let me tell you, Jesus, let me tell you, God, what good looks like. We, we want to do what Peter does and, and just pull Jesus aside and remind him what good is and redefine it for him. But that's not reality. God reminds us in this passage. He knows what is good for you. He knows what is best. And the best thing for you could be suffering so that you may be conformed to the image of Christ at all cost. Can I just share with you this morning what I wrote down in my notes um, here, just to be a little transparent as I was studying this, this is exactly what I wrote down. Well, I know that God is to be, I'm sorry, well, I know that the good is to be transformed to be like Christ. I am very often too scared or too comfortable to desire it. The character of Christ at all cost. Holy Spirit, make this my prayer. I can't do it on my own. Bring my groaning into line with the will of God. As I was studying this, to be honest, when I heard that, I'm like, God, there are not many days in my life that I pray, God, make me more like Jesus if it takes suffering. But the reality is, God is asking us to, to go and surrender to him and say, I want to be like Jesus no matter the cost. It's a big thing to say.
It's a hard thing to get at. But here's what Paul, the same author, wrote about this idea of suffering and good. He, he knew what it meant to suffer. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23-30, Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors. Far, here, here lists some of his sufferings. I have far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Doing the math on that, that's just under 200 scars on Paul's back. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. At frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Doesn't include even the venomous snake story and axe. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Community, I love that Paul, the author who wrote all those things, who physically, literally went through every single one of those things on that list in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if he went through all of those things, and if that was true, that, that he went through those, and, and even Christ from the beginning of calling Paul said, you will suffer many things for my name. If Paul, who went through all those sufferings, can then be inspired by God to put down in writing these things that he says that, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Then we can trust that if it took those things to conform Paul to the likeness of Jesus, and he was okay with it, he can do the same thing for us. Community Bible Church, suffering is normal. Please don't run from it. Suffering is what Jesus told Peter and the rest of the disciples will be our new normal in life. Suffering is not to be run from, it is to be embraced, and hopefully at the end of the day we can say, like Paul, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Community, we are in a rough time, I get it. But could it be that God is using this time to make you far more like himself? The character, the image of Jesus at all costs. Embrace the hard things. Do the hard things so that you can have a mature hope of a return of Jesus to fix this fallen and broken world. This morning as we close, I want to give you an assignment. I want to challenge you this week to do an exercise with me. There will be a link in the YouTube here uh, as well as on the website for a PDF that you can download. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to follow the instructions on there. I want you to kind of graph out your life. And I want you to kind of put the highs and the lows in your life. And I want you to put the moments of high suffering in this document. So from the earliest you can remember till now. And I want you to just graph it out. Here's what I think you're going to see if you do this. Write down the things that were hard. And then I want you to think about the things that came after, the things that were before. And here's what I think you're going to see. God is in your life using suffering to make you more like Jesus or at very least to put an offering, an opportunity out to you to become more like Jesus. 
If I trace my life, and I have, and I've walked through this graph as well. We've probably done it here before. It would be a good time to do it again. Graph your life and see. And don't be surprised that as you look at every suffering, that immediately after that hill of suffering, that peak, or that low valley of suffering, I should say, that there is a high peak at the other side. Because of that, I was more like Jesus. Because of that, I was more like Jesus. Because of that suffering, I learned a new reality of how broken this world is, and it matured my faith. Here's my encouragement. Use that graph to see how God is maturing and growing you. And please, 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 through this time and through this process that we're walking through these things, don't run from suffering. It is there and it's on purpose. God's never promised easy, but he has promised he will never leave us nor forsake us, and he will constantly be making us more like Jesus. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. Some of the harder things, that suffering is the new normal for us. And not that we should be so, you know, um, bent on, on trying to just search out suffering, that we're masochists for some reason. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that suffering is part of this broken world. There are certain things we're not going to be able to make sense of because we live in this sinful, broken world. I pray that through this time, Father, that you would show us what you're producing. Would you show us what we're trying to learn in the midst of this suffering? Would you slow us down enough to allow us to listen to you and to figure out what you're doing in the midst of this suffering? Because the reality is you called us to carry our cross daily. You called us to do it. You promised you'd be with us. You promised to pray and intercede for us and to show us your will in it. And I thank you that you've never left us once in any of this suffering. Thank you for those reminders. May we live in that this week.